Welcome to Biota.org Interviews. This evening I'm joined by Dr. Richard Gordon, a theoretical biologist at the University of Manitoba, Canada. Dr. Gordon, for those not familiar with your work, um, could you give some background on your academic work and your interest in A-Life? Uh, okay. What, uh, I guess I work in a couple of areas. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, I'm, my major appointment is in radiology at the University of Manitoba. Uh, and the primary thing I do in that, uh, with that hat on is trying to detect breast cancer at very early stages. Uh, most of that work consists of developing new uh, computer tomography algorithms, some positron emission tomography algorithms, uh, and a little, a little bit of work in uh, magnetic resonance imaging. Uh, the other major thing I work on is how embryos build themselves. And uh, I deal mostly with a salamander called the axolotl. Uh, it's a native of Mexico, and it's got the name Ambistema mexicanum. And uh, there we're working at the earliest stages, basically from the fertilized egg through the formation of the tube that becomes the brain and spinal cord. Uh, I also work in two other areas. Uh, one is sort of a hobby, uh, and that is uh, diatoms, which single-celled algae with a uh, very ornate silica shell, and those uh, I work on trying to figure out how, again, they make the patterns in these shells and also how they move, which gets me into sort of microfluidics and uh, uh, mechanisms of motility. And this has branched out into an interest in diatom nanotechnology, which is a new field of nanotechnology where you try to grow your nanotechnology parts instead of litho using lithography techniques. Uh, finally, completely different from all of these, I got involved in uh, uh, questions of how to stop the AIDS epidemic, and I work with mathematicians and epidemiologists and physicians on uh, modeling of the AIDS epidemic, and uh, you know, in particular, we've got a big project to try to stop the epidemic in Afghanistan, where they actually have very few cases right now, but we're trying to keep it that way. Okay. Terrific. I noticed on your website you discussed the origin of perception, the study of the origin of perception. Uh, an interesting branch of artificial life is AI in a simulated environment. I'm interested what uh, fundamentals of perception you would start from if you were going to simulate it in an AI environment. Well, uh, the, the most interesting place to look would be uh, chemotaxis of uh, plain old Escherichia coli, the, uh, the common bacterium that's used in molecular biology. Uh, this, the chemotaxis uh, mechanism has been worked out in pretty good detail. There's some mathematical models, and we can start to look at the evolution of it. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, basically it's smell, uh, it, because chemotaxis, the, the organism is swimming away or away from or towards uh, diffusing molecules in its environment. Uh, and one can start to ask questions, how could this chemotactic ability have developed uh, from uh, an organism which didn't have it and do this at a bacterial level with an organism that, whose DNA has been completely sequenced? So, uh, I don't know, I think we can possibly get a handle on perception in bacteria, which is not terribly sophisticated by, compared to our vision.
example, but uh, uh, you've got to start someplace. Certainly. And in terms of simulating that, how would you, how would you uh, talk to an A-Life developer in terms of creating a simulation that represented that? Well, what got me into the A-Life questions here, uh, uh, an article that was published uh, uh, a while ago uh, in which it was claimed that you had to have a designer for A-Life, and it struck me that this was basically the same argument from design that's used by the intelligent design people. And uh, it's, we've got a bootstrap problem here because the organism, in some sense, designs itself. Now, of course, the environment has an impact on this, but there's a sense in which uh, perception, uh, the origin of perception has got to be figured out just as much as the origin of life does, and perhaps it's one and the same problem uh, because... Uh, if you think about it, an early organism, no matter how early, has got to eat in some fashion, which means it has to recognize some feature of the environment which you can take in as nutrition and uh, possibly reject other things. And uh, as life got started, as soon as there are two kinds of life, you probably had predator and prey relations. So you, uh, you rapidly get into a situation where the organism has to not just recognize food, but recognize uh, uh, what to avoid, and uh, and then uh, at some point sex evolved, so it also has to be able to recognize a mate. So these very fundamental things, uh, eat, avoid being eaten, and find a mate, are possibly the origins of perception, and the origins of these have to be figured out along with the origin of life. Uh, and we've got a real bootstrap problem in all of this. Nobody has succeeded in any of these problems at this point. C certainly. I, f I find it curious, um, maintaining the biota.org site, that people on both sides of the American science versus religion debate, on one side, as you've noted, uh, intelligent design folk, seem to find a home on biota.org. Um, what has your contact been with regards to uh, people uh, who uh, have a background in intelligent design, and how do they relate to your work? Well, I do have an article which is, uh, will be in press very shortly, uh, which I uh, call, uh, well, let's see, I should get the exact title, but it's, uh, it's about, the title is something like uh, Overconfident Anti-Creationists Versus Overconfident Creationists. And uh, the problem I identify is that if you look at most of the anti-creationist literature by scientists, tends to be rather dogmatic and state uh, conclusions that we really are not that certain of, uh, as, if this, as if certainty in science is the answer to uh, the uncertainty that the intelligent design people like to raise. Uh, and I find that this is actually counterproductive because the, the major, one of the major features of science is humility and understanding what we think we understand and understanding what we haven't really grasped yet. And so presenting certainty in the face of these challenges from intelligent design people who basically, to me, want to throw their hands up and say, we can't explain this, we can't explain that, uh, is not a fruitful approach as far as I'm concerned. 
Very interesting. You touched briefly on your humanitarian work in Afghanistan, and certainly looking through your website, you've also sent books back to Afghanistan. The contemporary intelligent design uh, debate, for want of a better term, uh, is very much centred on kind of Christian uh, philosophies and views. Is there a comparable Islamic intelligent oh, design? Yes. The, the, uh, uh, the publishing engine for uh, Islamic intelligent design is in Turkey. And uh, uh, there are also some uh, Muslims uh, who argue against uh, this, this approach. And they, basically they use the same proof text as uh, Christians do, just taking away the Christian parts of it. Uh, you'll find, if you look at Jewish uh, creationists, they also uh, come up with almost identical ar arguments to, uh, to Christian creationists. And uh, uh, in fact, they're starting to get together. There's already been one conference uh, where Jewish and Christian creationists got together. Uh, we haven't had uh, a full one where uh, all three religions have got together. But uh, it may happen soon, so uh, uh, it's, a, it's a curious thing. But basically, they all use the same uh, types of arguments. Fascinating. Very fascinating. With regards to the broader A-Life community, I know you've been involved with uh, Biota for a number of years now. What is your sense of the contemporary A-Life community, and what more would you like to see in it? Fascinating. In terms of current A-Life developers looking at your work, where do you think they should start if they're looking to uh, build on work that they've already done or start new simulation environments based on your work? Well, I don't get, except for this amateur playing around with the question of the origin of perception, I don't get into behavior very much. Uh, what I concentrate on is how an organism builds itself, and uh, I'm starting to apply concepts that are sort of like perception, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure philosophically where they belong. Uh, <clears throat> what I see in an organism is an interaction between physical phenomena, let's say in an embryo, that occur at the scale of the embryo, and these physical phenomena having a direct link to phenomena occurring at the molecular level. 
and these links give us gives the organism ability to combine physics at two very different scales and coordinate those physics. I, uh, the, the physics at a large scale might involve waves that go over an embryo. It might involve simple phenomena like surface tension, then, which then might influence at the molecular level things like gene expression. And uh, I'm coming to the conclusion that the way an embryo builds itself is in, a, in an interaction between the physics at these different levels. Now you get into a physical, uh, a, you get into a philosophical, philosophical conundrum because there is a presumption that we can explain the physics at the higher level based on the lower level, and so in that sense, you many people just ignore the higher level physics, and I'm not sure that's correct. There are people like. Uh, well, Stephen Gould argued for higher level uh, science in terms of uh, the behaviors of populations of organisms during evolution. Uh, there's always been a loose notion around that uh, physics at different levels has some independence from the physics at lower levels. And uh, if you look at chaos theory, a lot of the stuff that comes out of there it shows a certain independence of phenomena from what's going on at the lower levels. So I don't think we've sorted this stuff out yet, but uh, the interaction between multiple levels, I think, is is important to uh, investigate, understand, simulate, and see if we can come to uh, uh, some sort of understanding as to what we're dealing with. Terrific. Thank you very much, Dr. Gordon, for the opportunity to talk with you. Do you have any final comments for the Biota interview? Well, one of the things which, uh, one, one part of artificial life has been the notion of growing computers. And uh, I partly got into the artificial life literature by mildly re re uh, rebuking the people who have been trying to grow computers uh, for not using realistic models of how organisms grow. I, I think if we understand better how an organism builds itself, we might then be able to better understand how to build a computer that builds itself. And uh, a computer that builds itself is, uh, I think, an important part of artificial life. Certainly. Thank you very much for the opportunity to interview you. Um, and I. Uh, I hope uh, many people who listen to this interview uh, are sparked um, by, uh, by your comments and uh, get in contact where need be to get uh, additional information. Thank you once again. Thanks a lot.